Hey, thanks for having us, especially this good, uh, good Friday morning. It's really special to be together with so many of you, brothers and sisters uh, who uh, we know we're related to, though we may not have met yet, uh, friends and, and invitees and people who walked in off the street. Very, very special just to spend uh, this good Friday morning with you. Uh, even if you've come from Brisbane, which there are a couple. Um, really great. Uh, so uh, I, um, I have the privilege now of opening up God's Word for us. So if you'd grab a Bible, if you are sort of the Bible flipping rather than the Bible listening kind. Now, do the words pop up here? They do. All right, well, well you, you'll be near right to it with that, with that one. Excellent. So you can look at them up there, but we're going to look at Matthew chapter 3 as we look at what was it that actually needed to happen before Good Friday to make Good Friday happen. That's what we're doing. All right, Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, the prophet we had the Old Testament reading from, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan and confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But... When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, Oh, we've got Abraham as our father. Tell you that out of those stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I am, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to be baptized by John. But John tried to stop him, saying, I I, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And so John consented. Now, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Uh, Will you join me and pray that I do a decent job of this and uh, that God will bless our time. Heavenly Father, uh, you uh, give us this this beautiful thing, your word, uh, this incredible thing, your big story, to help us to connect with you, to understand you, to, to be able to hear you speak. And so, Father, this morning, we pray that I would uh, adequately help us to see what's going on here. And, Father, that by your Spirit, you might change our hearts so that we might turn to you with all of who we are, with our whole heart. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Beautiful. Well, uh, look, I love stories. Um, one of my favorite stories is about a horse who uh, walks into a bar and he, uh, he orders a pint and the bartender says, you're here pretty often. Uh, do you think you're an alcoholic? And the horse says, I don't think I am. And then pff, he vanishes. All right, so the one or two people who know a little bit of philosophy here are uh, starting to laugh. They, they realize that this is a joke about Descartes' famous philosophy. You know, I think, therefore I am. So he said, I don't think, therefore he wasn't, he stopped being. But to explain that part before the rest of the joke would be to put Descartes before the horse. So, <laughs> see, it's a great story if you're a dad. Um, look, Good Friday is the climax of a much bigger and more involved story even than that, right? Uh, Soul Church has been reading the story of the world through the eyes of the Bible for uh, the last oh, eight weeks or so. So let me, I want to catch you up quickly on the story of the Bible as to where we're up to now. So uh, the story begins uh, with this guy, God. Turns out he loves creating beauty. Uh, he 90% makes the world and then makes these humans so that he can just like spoil them with good things and enjoy it with them in this beautiful garden. But then he lets them have a go too. So the final beautifying of the world, the finishing of the job, well, that's their job. He lets them have a go. Then an evil force asks the humans some very devious questions. And actually make them doubt if this God guy has actually got good intentions after all. So when they see the fruit that looks good, but God says will kill them, they think, no, it looks good, and they take it. Uh, which is how humans lose their direct connection with God. And God tells them, out. Out of my garden. But, but God also puts together a rescue team. He recruits a man who will trust him. This guy, Abraham, and he gives Abe's family a mission. Your mission is, trust me. If you listen to what I say, trust and obey, I'll use you to bring all the goodness back. And in fact, you're going to finish the job. You'll share that goodness with the whole world. But because people aren't listening to God, there's actually plenty of bad in the world. And yet we see God starts turning it into, into good you see, Abraham's family is in slavery to this bad king, and this family, in that space, though, God grows them into a large nation, and then he liberates them, and then he brings this fledgling nation into a new garden to live with him again. Tells them how to make their culture beautiful, how not to stuff it up, and how if, he, if they trust what he says and they do it, it'll bring goodness back to, and it'll perfect the whole world. So they get there. Sometimes you have lots of uh, good intentions when you get to a new house, a new, new element of life, and life gets busy. Things that all the other nations around them, the Joneses, the next-door neighbours, things that they're looking after, looking out for, well, they, they just look good. And so just like the first humans in the first garden, Abraham's family reach out for things that look good, but God said, hey, they're not good. So they make kings for themselves, who take many wives for themselves, who lead them to worship other gods, which leads to some really evil behavior. And this just happens over and over and over again. And it just makes the place a horrible place to live. And so God sends, so that was that one. So then God sends messengers saying, hey guys, this, this is not good. I want you to come back to me. If you do, I'll send the Holy Spirit to fix your hearts up. All you've got to do is just come back to me. But the thing is, by now, the relationship between God and Abraham's family is so toxic, they don't even want to listen to God anymore. So they shoot the messengers, the prophets who are sent to them time after time 
after time. And God eventually says, out. Again. For the second time. Then right at the end of the Old Testament, right at the end of, the, sort of the, the, that first big chunk of the Bible, God invites them home again. It's really weird. This guy, what's he doing? Now, this is where we're actually now caught up with that first Bible reading, that Isaiah 30 verse 15 Bible reading. It's, it's God telling Abraham's family what they need to do. Soul Church, you guys can wake up again. They're all caught up now, okay? <laughs> Isaiah 30, 15. What do you need to do, says God, to make up for generations and generations of not trusting me? What recompense will I ask for? After all the good things I showered on you and you ignored everything that I asked of you, for, for abandoning the project we agreed to, remember? You were going to trust me and then I was going to use you to save the world. This was going to be great. For worshipping every god and every superstition that you can find out there. But ignoring me, the one who rescued you out of Egypt and from the Philistines and the Midianites and the Gibeonites and the Assyrians and the Hittites. And then after every time I bailed you out at 3 a.m. in the morning when you didn't deserve it, after every time it got personal because you just couldn't trust me, what should your penance be? In Isaiah 30, 15. Well, let's read it. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. It's interesting. The Lord, the Holy One, the one who, who hates evil and has seen so much of it speaks. And he says, all I ask is for you to say sorry and then... Oh, no, that's it. Sorry. Sorry, and then stop. You sure, God? Yeah, humans have done a lot of bad things to people that you made and you love and to the world that you made and made us to care for, and not to mention directly to you. Are you sure? Well, the next line clears it up. If you, if you aren't sure, that just no, just repentance and rest. In quietness and trust is your strength, says God. See, I don't need you to fix this, says God. I don't need you to dig yourself out of the hole, but I do need you to trust me that I will. Trust that if you come and say, sorry, I'll make things good again. Because I know it was hard for you to believe in the garden. I know it was hard for you to believe in the second garden I took you into, the land of Israel. But I am good. You come to me and ask me for good things and I'll give them to you. I'll, I'll forgive you if, you're in this, if you are in this with your whole heart. If you're in this, if, you, if it's a genuine sorry, we can make this whole place beautiful again. In fact, you guys can still be the ones who reconnect all the other nations to me and, and make things good for them as well. But, and, and here's the thing. Do you remember the third line from the verse? This is what they say back. In repentance and rest is your salvation, says God. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. They can't say sorry. I don't want to. And this is what God's people are like when Jesus turns up in Galilee. They want none of him. See, Jesus is the last messenger God sends. I'll send my son. They'll listen to him. But of course, it's Good Friday. We know they don't. 
Now, uh, you might notice that in our Matthew 3 reading, this does not stop John the Baptist from having a crack, <laughs> having a crack at getting people to say sorry. He's standing on street corners like a you know, 15-year-old Domino's employee with a $5 takeaway pizza sign shaking it to get you to come in. And, and he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near, just say sorry. It's getting late in the day, guys. Uh, you, you do need to say sorry. Which is, of course, what the baptism ceremony was all about, of course. Uh, it's what you'd do if you were saying sorry to God for the ways that you treated him and you wanted him to forgive you, to wash you clean. It's what you do if you wanted to admit, look, I, I really have blown this. I'm not one of the pure good people of Israel. I, I, I'm, I'm full of bad stuff that needs to be repented of. I need to say sorry. Which is why, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but this is why what Jesus does next is really strange. But we'll get to that in a second. Um, just track backwards, because the, the Jesus isn't the first guy to go to John. You see, lots of other people get there before Jesus does. In fact, John's doing his baptizing thing when he notices the spiritual big shots from the temple in Jerusalem have sent a bunch of stooges to check things out. And before they can say a thing, like, I, I, I don't know if you've ever had someone just completely, like, color the whole room's perception of you before you even get to open your mouth yet. But they walk in, they haven't said a thing, and John yells out, you bunch of snakes! And, <laughs> wow, that's, that's a welcome. Who warned you to run from the coming wrath? Pretending you're sorry by coming to me won't help you, says John. You've got to start acting like you really mean it in here. That's what he means when he says produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Live like you actually mean you're sorry. That's interesting. Even as the protests sort of rise in their throats, he keeps on going. Oh, don't think you can say to yourselves, oh, well, I'm a part of the people of Abraham. Yeah, yeah, God could make children of Abraham out of the rocks over there. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. See, Israel's spiritual leaders had abandoned the agreement with God to work with him in trusting him to save the world. And John says, guys, soon you're going to be forever out. It doesn't matter what family you come from. News isn't good. Sort, sort it out. Now, John's on a roll, so he keeps on going, quoting the, uh, the prophets that Israel had ignored for so many years. And he says, look, I baptize you with, with water for repentance, right? I'm calling you to say sorry. But there's someone coming after me. He's more powerful than I am. How much more powerful? Well, I'm, you know, ranting you, you, you bunch of snakes. Now, like, I'm not worthy to carry this bloke's boots, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit with, and with fire. Kind of an upgrade on my water. But it's also a bit scarier because look at it. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear out his threshing floor. He'll gather the wheat into the barn, sure, but he'll burn up whatever's left with unquenchable fire. You think, think my judgment on your life is harsh? Wait till you meet him. Which again makes what Jesus does next really strange. Verse 13, Jesus comes to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Jesus came to John to say sorry. 
The weirdness of this is not lost on John. He freaks out, verse 14. He says, he's, you know, you've got someone who you say, I can't carry his boots, and then he says, I'm going to do something, and you try and stop him. <laughs> John does not think this is a good idea. I need to be baptized by you. I've got things to say sorry for, and you're, you'd be the right person for me to say sorry too. What are you doing? And John's right. Jesus doesn't have anything to say sorry for, and John does. He's got no sin to repent of. Why is Jesus doing a repentance ritual? Why in the story does this make sense? Well, before Jesus could go to the cross to pay for the sins of the world, the thing that, we are, we, we, that makes, the thing that's so awful and yet so beneficial that it makes Christians able to call it Good Friday, that as the king of Israel, as a child of Abraham, on this day, before that, he stands up as the one true child of Abraham, the one person keeping that agreement with God to say, yeah, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to work with you, God, to save the world. I'm going to trust you in your plan and save the world with you. Jesus stands up and he says, sorry. So sorry Israel couldn't say. The, the one who'd never done a thing to mistrust God's goodness turned to God with his whole heart and says, God, we have not trusted you. We're sorry something that they had not been able to do. Now, as he does it, the craziest thing happens. What? This, is, this is the one thing that like, I wish if there's a video replay sort of function in like heaven that we could just click and go back and watch this. Though it's exactly what we should have been expecting would happen. Because it's what God promised would happen when his people turned back to him with their whole heart. Heaven is torn open. And the Holy Spirit descends and lands on Jesus. The Holy Spirit that Jesus would later send out again more broadly to heal human hearts all over the world. Just as God said he would do. When his people Israel turn back to him, when they say, sorry, I will send my spirit to clean your hearts. Now in this moment, Jesus, the true son of Abraham, saves God's project to rescue the world through Abraham's family. It's a special moment. It's a beautiful moment. Now, now we know that this story doesn't end here. We know the story ends actually at Good Friday. Oh, where are we? This is the sorry. We know the story ends at Good Friday because years later, a couple of Jesus' disciples, they come to him and they ask him a question. First of all, we want you to do whatever we ask. It's a... Questionable way to phrase things to a person so superior to you that not even John the Baptist can carry his sandals. And then the question that they end up asking him is, look, God, we want to be the big shots. We want one of us at your right and the other one at your left. Not as we go through life, but once you get to the party. <laughs> not the hard part, but when, you get to, when, when, you, when, you, when you're in, you're in charge, put us there. Now Jesus says, look, you blokes don't know what you're asking for. Can you drink the cup I drink? And again, interesting language. Or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. Now, with a confidence born of uh, absolute ignorance, they both say, yep. <laughs> totally cool, can do that. Now, Jesus says, well, that's true. You will drink the cup that, I'll be that, that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. Uh, and what he, when he says baptism here, Jesus is now using it as a metaphor for Good Friday, of course. I mean, when this, this cup is the cup of God's wrath and anger against all of the sin that everyone's committed, it means his death on a cross to keep God's promise. 
You see, God promised that if people just turned and said sorry, that God would take care of the rest, that God would sort out the sin. It all starts with his baptism. It was the thing that needed to happen before Good Friday. Now, do you remember the the Sadducees and Pharisees went out to see John, the the bunch of snakes? When they brought Jesus in to judge him, they did just what Israel had done for generations. Instead of saying sorry, they shot the messenger. They sentenced him to torture and death. This is the guy who's trying to save them, remember. The guy who's trying to to revive the project that they're supposed to be in charge of because they're the spiritual leaders. Now, look, many of you know that on Good Friday, Jesus died to pay for the wrongs of humanity. That's what his death did. Many of you know that he he completed God's rescue plan, that the God who was insulted by our behavior took that humiliation on himself for that crime, went to the cross, stripped naked, humiliated and hung there, that the God who loves good and hates evil went through the worst that we could do to him that day so that the humanity that he made and loves and yet had rejected him wouldn't have to cop the punishment for their crime. But did you know that not only did Jesus pay for your sins, he said sorry to God for you. You see, this is the problem with me. My sorries aren't great. I say sorry to someone and then I do the same thing again. I don't turn with my whole heart towards my brothers and sisters at church like I should, towards God like I should. My, my, my sorry is not wholehearted. It's not the kind of thing, it's not the kind of sorry that God would say, ah, now I, yeah, now, now, now you're really, really with everything you've got, you've turned to me. Yep, okay, I'll send my spirit to you. See, I needed someone to say sorry for me, to bring the blessing of God down, to make peace between him and me. And that's true for you. You see, this morning, if you are a Christian, if you put your trust in Jesus, I want you to hear that love for you. I want you to feel that, that sorry said on your behalf, that, 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 that doing not just the sorry, but then coming and taking the punishment as well, that, that every part of making you friends with God has been sorted and taken care of. And all you need to do is go to God and say, God, I trust that you're good enough to do that for me. Do you feel the love from that? So that it turns into obedience, saying sorry, listening to God. But if you've got a different story here this morning, then I'm so glad you're here. Your story's not one of yet having put your faith in Jesus. I'm so glad you're here. See, but you need to say sorry. See, if you're, if you're offended that um, God thinks that you actually and him are not okay, that you've got beef with him, and if you don't like the idea that God says that even your sorry isn't wholehearted enough, I want to encourage you as you hear this message this morning, don't be like Israel and shoot the messenger. Well, I mean, don't shoot me, but that's not really, that's not really what I'm concerned about. It's, it's, don't ignore Jesus. Like the Pharisees and the Sadducees did at the Jordan River. Don't ignore him. Don't hear the warning this morning that there is one who is going to bring judgment for sin and, and then ignore the fact that he has done everything to make you and God okay, to pave the path, to roll out the red carpet for you to stroll up to God, say sorry, and to be healed. Please turn to God this morning. Trust him. And as gruesome as it is, let him bear the cost, which is what Good Friday is about. Because that's what God asks of you. Trust that I 
and good and will make everything okay. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. I'm going to pray for us and if you want to join with me, I'd love that too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your, your great big story helps us to see the magnitude of what Jesus did both at the River Jordan, but of course primarily at the cross. It was, it was a, a, an age of human ignoring you and then not turning back to you when you send your messengers that he was paying for. And yet, Lord, that is what you ask. That is, that is, that is your joy. That is your, your great plan for the ages was for your son to be that good for us. So that we'd sit here now and think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not much in this story, but gee, God is good. And in the bargain, I'm loved. And so, Lord, we just ask that this morning that would fill our hearts in a way that would turn them towards you. That Holy Spirit, you would do what God promised you would and turn our whole heart towards Jesus in trust and towards you, Heavenly Father, in our sorry in our confessing our sin to you, but also in confidence and joy, because as our brother reminded us, it is finished. You've done it all. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.